Christmas is coming up. I don't know if you know this. Uh, we have this holiday we celebrate every year in America in December called Christmas. And it's kind of a big deal. And it's kind of a big deal for us. Um, we think it's a big deal. We think it's awesome. Because, as you've probably heard me say, if you've been around here for a while, I think of all the people in the world, we are the people that should celebrate most recklessly this holiday, right? For everybody else, it's presents, it's fun, it's food, it's getting fat, and everybody's okay with it for a couple weeks because you just overeat on everything. But for us, for us, like this is the moment where we stop and pause and say, how insane is it that God loved us so much that he came after us, came virgin birth, came born as a baby, and emptied himself and came after us. And this beautiful gospel that we celebrate begins in that moment of him coming after us. And so we celebrate. And so we'd love for you to join us in celebrating um, December 23rd, which is a Saturday at 6 p.m., or December 24th at 3 or 5 um, for Xmas and MCC. We'd love for you to join us. But as I've said before, um, if that doesn't work for your schedule, if that doesn't work for your time, if, you know, certain things. There's one church, um, I won't tell you who, you got to figure it out on your own. I'm doing most of the footwork for you. But there's one church that uh, is doing Christmas Eve service, and then they're going to go caroling afterwards. So, like, if you want to do that... Right? There's papers all around the campus here, um, and you can find on the back of it, it has a list of all the church services going on on Christmas Eve in our community, uh, great churches all through our community. Uh, I just encourage you to find somewhere to celebrate Christmas Eve, and then, you know, if it's not here, celebrate there, and then join us back in, in January, and it'll be good. Um, let, let me see if my little slide thing's going to work here. Okay, there's our slide for Christmas. Okay, um, we started this series saying that what you call things matters. It, it says something about the relationship you have with something. So, so if you're here uh, throughout this series, you heard, you know, we, we talked about Bodie McBoatface, right? You remember Bodie McBoatface, um, Hootie McAlface, and Stealthy McStealthface, okay? And we talked about that it matters. And um, in Scotland, uh, they've embraced the absurdity. Okay, um, in Scotland they have the, these snowplows. In Scotland, for some reason, they call them gritters. Okay, is what they call them in Scotland. That's an important detail, gritters. And they actually every single year, someone sent this to me um, because it was on like a news report that they were naming them this week. Every single year, they actually open it up to the public to name their gritters. Uh, to be honest, okay, here's the thing: I didn't know Scotland got snow, but apparently it's a big deal, right? And so they have these gritters. Okay, is what they call them, and every single year people vote, and it kind of becomes a contest to come up with the most absurd you can come up with. So um, this year, the two, a couple of the top leading ones is um, Gritter Thunberg. You, you know the the, the teen activist, uh, environmental activist, uh, Gritter Thunberg. My other, my favorite, my favorite um, is uh, uh, this year. She wrote a memoir. Is uh, Gritney Spears. I think is uh, perfect. We should honor her with uh, naming a snowplow after her. But we said it matters what we call things. Um, in either as a child or as a parent, we've all gone through this phase and transition where we, um, you know, begin with mama, and then at some point it becomes mommy, and, and then it becomes mom, and then it becomes. Sup, right? 
I, uh, maybe the most important thing you need to know about me, um, the thing that will inform you about everything else about who I am as a person is that my first um, job in ministry was in a town in Arkansas called Wiener at a church called Wiener Christian Church. Okay, so that should just help you understand how my brain processes everything. And there was this girl there, she was in the youth group, and she called her dad Harold. And I thought, okay, maybe, maybe you thought, okay? You thought, well, maybe it's her stepdad, right? And maybe you have a stepmom or stepdad, and you know, a different season they came in your life, and you refer to them, right, as Harold. And as I got to know them and the family, he was the pharmacist in town, um, he was not her stepdad. And she called him Harold. And here's the crazier thing. His name was not Harold. His name was Henry. And apparently, as the story goes, at some point, she just started calling him Harold, and everyone just went along with it. But what we call people, what we call things, says something to everybody else around us. It says something to the other person in the relationship about how we, how we view this relationship. And there's a moment in Scripture in Isaiah 9, we're going to look at it, and God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, says, here's some of the names I want you to, to, to speak of me, that I want you to understand of who I am. And it comes in this really important moment in, in, um, in, in Judah's history, because as we're going to talk about a little bit later, uh, there was violence coming in their direction. And there was fear wrapped amongst the people. And there was uncertainty. And they were outnumbered. And God speaks to them. And he says, here's what I want you to know. I want you to remember who I am and the kind of God that I am to you. And so it says this, Isaiah uh, 9, verse 6, says this. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called. This is the kind of God that I, this is the kind of relationship I want you to have with me as your God. The first week we talked about, he says a, a name, a title that we should identify him as, as Wonderful Counselor. Last week we talked about Mighty God, and this week we're going to talk about what it means for him to be an everlasting Father. Next week I've got a good friend of mine named Lars Coburn who's going to come and he's going to talk about what it means for God to be the Prince of Peace in our lives and in the world. But everlasting Father. Now, here's the thing. We can't ignore this reality. Anytime we talk in church or really in any part of our life about God and we talk about God being our Father, every single one of us, good or bad, brings baggage. Maybe, maybe you, you like me, maybe you had a great dad, right? I mean, was a great dad. Oh, yeah, 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 right? He's a person. He's human, which means he's busted, Right? And there's places where he's a broken human. But, but in a lot of ways, I had a great example of a dad. But maybe you didn't. And maybe the, 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 the father figures in your life or the father in your life wasn't a great example. And all of us, when we, the, we can't escape that when God speaks of himself as a father, that we bring all that baggage and image forward with us. It is a profound and shocking and almost scandalous truth. When Jesus is talking and, and he, he, he's teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, um, the first two words he says, he says, our Father. That, that's, 
<laughs> That's amazing. He, here, um, Jesus, Jesus could have all the right in the world to say, here's how you pray. My father who is in heaven, right? He's the son of God, born of a virgin birth because of the Holy Spirit. He is the only begotten son of God. We say it in, in the Nicene Creed in the beginning of service. He is the only son of God. He had full right to say, my father who's in heaven. And we would pray, we'd repeat and we'd say, Jesus's father who is in heaven. But he doesn't say that. He says in this amazing, shocking, like almost crazy thing. He, he makes an invitation to us. He says, here's how I want you to pray. Our Father. That God can be to you a Father. So what we want to look at today is what does it mean when Isaiah is talking about it, when Jesus says it in the Lord's Prayer, what does it mean for God to be our Father? Now, you should be proud of me. I went to Bible college and so uh, my sermon has three points, and they all begin with the letter P. You don't look as impressed. Thank you, thank you. One person is impressed. I've spent a lot of time in my office making them all start with P. I'm kidding. Okay? But what does it mean for God to be our Father? Well, we talked about last week. Right? We're not going to recap a lot of it because it was basically the whole sermon last week. Is the number one thing what it means for God to be our father is it means um, that fathers in ancient cultures, fathers provided protection. They, they were the protector of the family. And that's what we talked about last week, that God's a mighty God. We talked about that he works in you, he works through you, and he works over you. What we talked about last week, it matters who you travel with. Right? It matters who you go with. That in the, the cosmic world... The, the cosmic playground, when you come against life and life says to you, well, my daddy's bigger than your daddy, you go, <laughs> have you met my daddy? Right? That it matters who you travel with. And that, that we, we have a father, that in God, that we have a father, we have a protector who has no rivals. If you weren't here this last week, I, I just want to remind you that the, the like movie fictional story we tell ourselves that we've so um, saturated in the way we see the world that there's like good and evil and there's this battle of equal powers fighting it out in the world and all these stories are, oh, who's gonna win? Who's gonna, who, is it gonna be good or evil? And we're always like, ah, is not the story that the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us a story that says, um, that God speaks and it happens. Look, he doesn't strain. Um, this last week, okay? This last week, I did about 30 minutes of yoga on a Wednesday morning and I couldn't walk for three days. Okay? There's a muscle somewhere between my hip and my knee and it's not my quad that I just couldn't, I would get out, I had lunch with someone on Thursday and, and I sat there for a little while and then I went to get out and it looked like somebody just smacked me in the kneecaps as I got it. I was like, ugh, 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 right? God's, God's never strained a muscle. There's never been a moment in all of human history where God's panicked. Where God's been like, oh, oh, oh what, what's happening? Holy Spirit, I thought you had America. 
I thought you were supposed to be watching. Holy Spirit's like, oh, I'm on vacation. I thought it was Jesus this week to keep track of him. There's been no point where God has strained a muscle in his effort to rule, to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, dominating over all of his creation. This is the God who walks with us. Paul writes in Romans, he writes this little reminder that I just wanted to give you before we move on to the other two points is, is this. So he says, look at this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God walks with you, there is no one, no power, no thing that can stand against him. And our Father, he provides us protection. He walks with us. He is the power in us throughout our lives. The second thing is that God being our Father means that he provides protection. The second thing it means in ancient cultures is is that he provides protection. Um, that he is our provision. That he is our provision. There's, um, there's this spot. Jesus is talking in the largest sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, right? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And, and why? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the, fathers, how the flowers of the field grow? If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Father that we have, what it means for him to be a father is that he is a good father, able to provide for your every need. Maybe not your every want. And I'm not gonna have an answer for why God does everything that he does or doesn't do and why he fills this gap and he doesn't fill this gap. But what it means for us to believe that God is our good, everlasting father is to mean, is to believe that he can provide all things for us. My wife and I, um, I don't know, maybe it was five years ago, we did this um, class, it's called Foundations. Um, if you're going to foster or adopt in the state of Oregon, you have to do this, this foundations class. It's like 24 hours of class time. And, um, but we had this phenomenal uh, facilitator. Her name was Irma Brundridge. And she, was, she actually came and spoke here one Sunday. And she just has this crazy, incredible story. And there were so many like, little good nuggets in that. Um, she told us one time, uh, she, was, she was kind of quizzing us. She's like, you know, why... Why, why should you take a kid in? Like, if there's a kid who's in need, like, what about your household and your family would be good for that kid? And um, we're, you know, we're all like, well, I mean, you know, like, well, here's why, you know, and we give these, like, all these lists. And, and she said two things. She said, um, you will never be a better parent just because you can buy them an Xbox. Right? And it was like, because <laughs> sometimes you get in foster care, and you think, oh, like, I'll just, we'll give them a better life. And that means stuff. She also said, you know, um, when a kid goes to bed at night, all around the world and all of humanity, when a kid goes to bed at night and they're scared, there's one thing a child wants. Mommy. She said, that's just, they don't care that mommy's a crack addict. They want mommy, right? 
she was talking to us about like what to expect with kids who've gone through trauma, um, and, and particularly kids who've been neglected, but also kids who've been abused. And, and she said, it's not uncommon if you have a child who's um, uh, pulled out of their household later in life. I mean, even when they're like two or three years old, but not babies, but when they're pulled out of their home, um, it's not uncommon for them to steal food and to not only steal food, but then to store food. It's not uncommon, she said, um, the first time you may realize it is when you begin to smell things rotting in their bedroom. Because you see, um, you, you may have kids in your household, <laughs> they, may, they may steal food, they may like, but it's so that they can like, that night they can go sit in their bedroom and they can eat the chocolate cake. Right? And they can sit there and they can be like shoveling there and you walk in and they got chocolate all over their face. They go, did you take some cake? No. Right? And she said, but there's this interesting phenomenon that happens with kids who've experienced abuse. They will steal food not to eat, but they'll steal food so that they can hide it, so that they can go to sleep knowing tomorrow they'll have food available to them. And I just thought, so many of us have spent our life believing that God might choose not to feed us tomorrow. And so we've spent all of our life trying to fill our closets with stuff so we can sleep at night knowing, well, I've put all my stuff and I've got something to eat tomorrow while Jesus says, why would you store up? Why would you store up here where rust and moths and rot destroy I think the question he's asking is, do you believe that God, your father, is good enough that he would feed you again tomorrow? It's hard to believe, right? I'm just going to be honest with you. It's hard to believe. It's hard to trust. It's hard to walk in a way that walks with an open hand enough to say, God, uh, you know, I look at the birds in our backyard. They come flying in, you know, and they grab a couple things and they fly out. I've never seen one of them gather a whole crew around and say, oh, you guys, you know what's going on with the economy? I don't know. I don't know about inflation. I don't know about the, maybe they're not going to buy as much bird seed for us. Well, they just eat and fly away. God feeds the birds. Don't you think you matter more than bird? I mean, obviously God's providing ample rain for the grass, even though I've prayed against it. Okay? What it means for God to be a good father is to to believe that he knows you and he knows what you need and he is good and he is able. If you came to your dad and said, Dad, I'm, I'm hungry, he'd say, ah, I'm so glad you asked. Let's go look in the pantry and see what we got. Like a good father. What it means for God to be a good father is to mean that he will protect he also is the one who provides. You know, the people that are receiving this message to begin with, the people that Isaiah is talking to, that God's speaking through Isaiah, um, they're people with very real fears. There is, um, historically, there's a, a nation uh, north of, you got Israel and then you got two nations above Israel, um, and there's a nation that's even further north, and they are a powerhouse of a nation. And in this time in human history, they're just coming and crushing nations and just wiping out nations, obliterating nations, right? They are a scorched earth kind of um, uh, culture of war. 
right? And, and they're coming down on these two nations that are north of Judah. And, and the, the people of those two nations, the leaders, come to the leader of Judah and they say, hey, hey, why don't you join with us? Right? If the two of us, if one of us try and fight these people, they're going to wipe us out. But if all three of us get together and we make like this big mass to protect ourselves, we can fight against them. And God says, God says, no, 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 no. Don't ally with them. And that, from a worldly perspective, makes no sense. But God says, here's why you don't ally with them. Because I am a good father because I am a mighty God, because I am your God, and I will protect you, and I will care for you, and I will be sufficient. It's hard to believe sometimes, but the invitation to us each and every day is to be reminded that God, I don't know what your father was like, but that God is a good father who wants to care and provide for his children. And you know, maybe today, you have some very real concerns about tomorrow. You got concerns about your job. You got concerns about kids. You got concerns about relationships. You got concerns about future. You got concerns about school. And you don't know. And the invitation to you each and every day is to say, our Father, our Father who's in heaven, our Father who is good and able to protect and to provide, the last one is this, that God is able to protect, he's able to provide, and he's able to give us purpose. Um, my last name, right, is uh, Bitzer. Um, it doesn't mean a lot. I don't even know if it has a meaning. Um, but, you know, some families, maybe for your family, your family name means something, right? And maybe you, at different points in your life, you had a conversation, you know, with your parents or with your dad, and he's like, you know, our name means something. Don't disrespect our name. I saw this one guy on the internet, and um, he had had a little too much caffeine in his life. And uh, he was like, I don't, you know, and he's all just roided out. And he goes, I don't let my kids buy jerseys. I don't let them buy jerseys because they're not going to wear anybody else's name on their back. Like, okay, buddy, right? But maybe, maybe your name, like, okay, so for me, um, Bitzer, like, if someone's like, oh, he's a Bitzer, he's loud. That's about all we got, Right? But a name means something, especially in this culture. You, you didn't have surnames. You didn't have, you know, Sean Bitzer. What you would have called me, what others would have called me, would have been uh, Sean, uh, son of Rich. Rich's son, right? But when you're a part of a family, when you're a part of a family, if you were in their culture, if you were a part of a family and you were a plumber, you know what your son would be? A plumber. And you know what his son would be? A plumber. Right? And you know what his son would be? It'd be a plumber. That to be a part of a family was to be a part of a story, was to have a purpose. We are these people and we do these things. Uh, my, my wife's family, uh, they have two great names. Like um, uh, awesome names. Don't, my, wife's, uh, um, my wife's maiden name is Ward. And you can just kind of write that somewhere in a note so when my kids are older, you can hack into their bank account. When it says mother's maiden name, you can go, oh, Mother's maiden name is Ward, right? Um, so uh, it, her, her name is, her main name is Ward, right? And um, her mom's maiden name is Vernon. 
I guess I probably shouldn't tell you that. Um, now you can get it at her bank accounts. Um, <laughs> but Vernon in the Midwest and in like Christian church world is like actually it's a really kind of big name. It's, they had a traveling quartet in the 50s and 60s. They went to churches all over. Um, they had their own TV show in the 60s. Her grandparents had their own TV show. Isn't that amazing? Um, and there was a lot of pride in the name, you know, that they're Vernon, and, and, and you go around churches in the area, and oh, you know, I'm a Vernon, right? And that means something. Um, my wife's family, you know, is wards, and, you know, for a long time, they'd say, oh, we're wards. And they were, they were one of those kind of families that would buy the stuff that says, uh, you wouldn't understand, it's a ward thing, right? Like pride, and we're, but my, my father-in-law didn't actually know a lot about his family, um, generations back. And so one Christmas, I thought, oh, I'm going to do this really cool thing. I'm going to make up a family tree thing, and I'm going to do some research on his family and where they came from and stories and get this whole thing together. And um, so I did. And here's the thing. Um, they're not wards. Turns out his grandpa's name was Hardway. Turns out he was wanted by the authorities, a lot of them, because he was a very successful moonshiner and smuggler across the borders, all across America. They were a big crime family, <laughs> the hard ways. And to get out of it, he just decided one day to not be a hard way and just made up a new name and passed that name on to his kids. They did go out and buy stuff that says, you wouldn't understand it's a hard way thing. We're all criminals. Um, Right? But a name means something when you carry someone's name. And here's the invitation that, that God is making to us to be his sons and daughters, to carry his name. Uh, Joe Hoover, he's spoken here quite a few times. I love Joe. Um, he, he says this way I love the way he says it. He says, um, God's invitation to us is to be a part of the family business. What it means for God to be a father to you is an invitation to you to be part of the family business. Jesus, we don't know a lot about his childhood, but there comes a point in his childhood where, um, you know, he gets separated from uh, Joseph and Mary, and uh, we can explain why it happened, but he gets separated from them, and when they find him, here's what, you remember what he says? Oh, went too far. Let me show you the verse. Remember what he says? He says to him, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Like, I'm part of the God family, I'm part of the Father God family, and we've got a job to do. And so I've got a job to do. I've got a purpose in life. I've often asked this illustration. Maybe you've heard it before, but I've often asked this, and it really um, is, a, is a good thought process, for, a good wrestling thing for me is, um, why? Why when you get baptized, like why when you give your life to Jesus and you get baptized, you make a public profession of your faith, why in that moment does God not just suck you up into heaven? Like, if, if, if God is good and he's able and this world is busted and this world's a mess, why does the good father ask you to endure death and decay and disease and cancer and divorce and fallouts and getting fired or laid off from a job and financial stress and strain? Why, why does he not... Like you just, you give your life to Jesus, you get baptized, you make a public profession, and all of a sudden just, just like a Hoover vacuum just sucks you up in the sky. I mean, would that not be like the greatest testimony ever? Like, come on, come see. It's the last time you're gonna see me. I'm out of here. 
right? Like people come and you get baptized and all, there's just a wet spot on the ceiling and you're gone, right? It would, it would call into question though, um, I don't know who's doing the baptizing in this story, right? But why? Why does God leave you here? What it means for God to be your father is that you have a calling to be part of the family business. Um, Rick Warren says it this way. He says, there's two things we can, do in, we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven. Sin and tell people about Jesus. Why do you think God left you here? See, what it means for God to be a good father is to mean, yes, he is, he's gonna protect you. He's gonna provide for you but it also means that he's called you into his purpose. Jesus says it this way. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, teach, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. If God has you as a son or a daughter, he's called you to be a part of his family business the business of reconciliation and restoration of all things. 2 Corinthians 5 says that he's entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. He has a purpose for you. You are here. You are amongst your family and your friends and your coworkers for a reason. And that is that others, that others, that, that, that many, because the sacrifice of the one, might be called sons and daughters of our God. You have a calling. And you have a purpose and you have a place in this life.